0: So I'm, I'm going to read the passage um, that Dan's going to be speaking from today. Um, it's Ephesians 2, and it's the first 10 verses. So let me encourage you, if you've got a Bible to hand, uh, to have that ready, just so you can follow. And then as Dan's um, speaking from it, just to have that in front of you. Um, so Ephesians chapter 2, uh, verses 1 to 10, says this, and you were dead. I'm going to hand over to Dan, who I think is about to appear. Um, Let me just pray for him as he speaks to us now. Heavenly Father, we thank you for those words that I've just read and that have uh, encouraged people who know and love you um, for thousands of years. Uh, And we just pray now as Dan speaks from that passage that you would um, inspire him um, and that you would take what he has prepared and that you would make uh, what you want each individual who's listening to hear and to become apparent in their mind, prepare our spirits to listen, and that we would be encouraged, challenged, um, whatever it is you want to do. So be with Dan now as he speaks. And I thank you that you will do that. Amen.
1: Thank you Andy. Um, Good evening everybody. Um, It's lovely to see you all Um, and what a joyful night it was on Friday night. just wanted to say thank you to everyone that was there. It was a really encouraging evening wasn't it to hear and see what was going on in the collective as we seek to want to be part of building a community in Christ. We want to be part of that don't we? We want to be uh, people that are um, sharing the good news with those around us and uh, being part of the plan that God has for his universe and It's been great, hasn't it, as we've looked at this new sermon series in um, Ephesians uh, where this letter that's been sent around to all the churches in Asia Minor, not just um, to the church in Ephesus, to remind them that God is at work building a community in Christ. All things in heaven and on earth are going to be united under Christ. What a grand plan it is, and we are involved and part of that plan. And we saw in the first chapter um, a couple of weeks ago when I preached, we saw the work of the triune God. We saw God the Father who was at work, who had chosen us before time began. What a wonderful truth that is, that he had chosen us before time began to make us holy and blameless. And he adopted us as his sons. Truly wonderful truths. And also the work of Jesus, the Son. We saw that through him, we receive redemption and forgiveness of sins. And through the work of the Holy Spirit, he seals our inheritance. And all this, we saw, was to the praise of his glorious grace. Now, I don't know about you, but I was quite blown away by that. The spiritual blessings that he has blessed us with as well are absolutely phenomenal and I hope you've had opportunity over the last couple of weeks just to spend time just praising him for those things that he has done for us. But then last week what we saw was Jez um, preached the second part of chapter one. We saw that this new community in Christ are to be, uh, have, a, have a, li- a life of prayer, a life marked by prayer. As a new community in Christ we are to remember one another as fellow believers We are to remember one another and to pray for one another that we would all have our hearts enlightened, even more enlightened, knowing God more and more so we can praise him more and more because we know him more and more. And then what we see is at the end of that, um, at the end of that chapter, we see that uh, we see God's power in raising Jesus from the dead. God's amazing power, all-surpassing power, that raises Jesus from the dead. And if we just click on, Ben, we see this in verses 19 and 20 of chapter 1. It says this, And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. If you click on, Ben, please. And our passage today And what we see is Paul extends um, that explanation, the explanation of the bigness of God's plan and the power that he used to raise Christ. He's preparing his readers and us as well for the demonstration of what God's power does now here in chapter two that Andy read for us, where we are, where he makes us alive together in Christ. Isn't that amazing? He resurrects believers so to build this new community, it takes resurrection power to do that. And Paul wants us to grasp, wants us to know, wants us to understand, wants us to take hold of that God has resurrected you with great power. That it took power, resurrection power to make you a Christian. And I think this is particular help, particularly helpful for us today against the backdrop of the Western society and culture that we live in we often put ourselves at the center of the universe don't we with god has a plan for the whole universe and we tend to make it based around ourselves and think about it our, our society puts ourselves as our own savior it's i that determines what happens and when i'm in control of my own destiny it's all about me 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 if i just work harder i can i can get what i want but you see even as christians although we know that this is we know that this is um, We know that's not true, but we can still fall into thinking that we are maybe worthy or good enough to receive God's love. We're actually quite decent. I think I can see why God chose me. I'm quite a good person. And Paul is saying to you today, he's saying to me today, he's saying to us all today, you think you saved yourselves? Take another look. This is much bigger than you. In fact, this took such huge, massive power to save you. This took cosmic creator God, all surpassing power the God that is at work in the whole universe to unite things under Christ. You did not save yourselves. You didn't make a decision to become a new creation, to to build a new humanity. You did not make the decision um, to be united in Christ. This took cosmic, all-surpassing, mighty power of our Heavenly Father. And so our passage today, what Paul does is he sets up just how much power it took because it shows us the pit of despair, the hopeless state that we were in, Without, without Christ. And we, then he contrasts that with the mighty, super cosmic power that God uses to resurrect us and bring us into his kingdom. And then we find out in the last couple of verses the reason that he has done that, what it's for now. So we see the past, how we were, we see the present, who we are now, and the future, what we've been saved for. And so firstly, so I'm just going to get a drink. Firstly, Dead, hopeless in sin. That was our statement. Dead, hopeless in sin. It says, and you were all dead in trespasses and sins. Dead. Starkly. It's a stark reality. Not slightly dead, not partly dead. Fully, completely dead. All of us dead. Paul uses trespasses and sins here. He uses them both. He uses trespasses, talking about sins of commission. You may have heard it uh, said before, going against explicitly what the Bible commands and sins of omission, not doing what is right, not doing the right thing. Everything is covered here. That's why Paul uses both terms. We were dead in them. And you see, Paul is writing to the Gentile Ephesians, as we've heard already. He was writing to the non-Jews specifically here in the church at Ephesus, telling them that they were, they were dead before Christ without hope, but it's also for everyone. Paul then flips um, the the language that he uses and goes into first person and says that we, uh, we all once lived like this. So this is everybody, Jew, Gentile, everybody was dead, every single person, dead in trespasses and sin. And we see what's interesting, particularly about these verses one to three, is that we see that there are external forces and internal forces at work, making us dead in our trespasses and sins. And so just gonna have a look at that. If we just flip on Ben to the next slide, please. What we see is in verse 2 it says, And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work. You see, verses one and two be uh, to, one to the um, to two talk about. The relation the, of the powers outside of us that, that are at work. We see here that it's, uh, that we were following the course of this world. We were following the prince of the power of the air. We were following the sp- uh, the spirit was at work in us. And so, firstly, following the course of this world, what we see is that we have a devil and a world system that has brought us in line with um, that has brought us in line with its life. A world system is the way in which the world thinks and the way in which the people in the world think. And without Christ, we follow the pattern of this world. The pattern that is all about me, everything is about me. It's I'm the centre of the world. It's what I can get out of my life that matters. But then we also see that, it's the, that Paul refers to the prince of the power of the air is at work, that, that de- it's the devil, he is real and he is powerful. And I love the way Paul uses the air, the power of the air. And when we think about air, I think what Paul's, or well, the reason Paul's using the word air is because air is everywhere. We breathe it in, don't we? It's in our house, it's in our bedrooms, it's outside, it's in our workplaces, it's in our cars. He's basically, Paul is basically saying, look, your enemy is everywhere. You're breathing it in, in every single moment of every day. Just maybe think about that for a moment. Maybe we don't always feel like that. But actually, you just think about even just mainstream TV, the sort of stuff that's on our TVs that's accessible. Some of it is, is pretty dark and pretty evil, isn't it? I was just thinking um, the other day about the, the legalism of abortion in many countries. And we, uh, I just saw the other day on the news um, when Argentina, just a couple of weeks ago, voted in um, that abortion would be, would be legalized. And there were tens of thousands of women in Buenos Aires, shouting out, uh, choice, 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 and delighted that the government had, had, had made that change. There is evil in this world. But if you're like me, you don't always think like this. You don't necessarily think of the cosmic powers that are at work in this world. We don't necessarily live in the reality that this is what it's like, but for the, for the Ephesian church, for the Ephesians themselves, they would have understood all this talk about the cosmic powers. Because after all, we've talk, we saw in Acts, didn't we, last term, that we, where we looked at um, the church at Ephesus, that it was the, um, they worshipped a the god uh, called Artemis. They believed in cosmic forces. They believed that there were gods and demons in the skies and they were to be feared and they were to be pacified. But I think for us today, certainly in this Western world, Western society, perhaps what's true for us is that the greatest trick the devil ever played was to make us that he doesn't exist, make us think that he doesn't exist. We don't think that he's real. But Paul is saying, and the Bible tells us throughout that the devil is real. There are powers at work. He is everywhere. And in fact, before we knew Christ, it was his spirit at work in us. Those that don't have faith in Jesus, he was once at work. He was, he's at work in them. And before we knew Christ, he was at work in us. And it's, and you see, it's still at work at the moment, isn't it? We, we see it, even for us as Christians, that what happens is that the devil's trying to bring discontentment um, for us in our life with God's, in this new kingdom that he's brought for us, this new community that he's building. You see, this is why in Ephesians 6, Paul extensively talks about putting on the armor of God, doesn't he? There is spiritual warfare there. We need to be ready for it. The devil is not happy that we are in a new community with with, with Christ. He is unhappy at that, and he's going to do anything he can to make us feel as discontent as possible, filling us with doubts, helping us question whether God really does love us, whether these circumstances and the difficulties that we might be going through, if God really loves me, would this really be happening? He doesn't want us to enjoy the spiritual blessings that we have in Christ. You see, before Christ, we are following this world in its wickedness and it controlled us. We you just click on Ben, please. But there are also internal forces, internal forces that are going on. We see in um, uh, verse, um, the end of verse 2, the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. we were sons of disobedience. That means that by nature, by nature, um, we were disobedient. We can't blame the ruler of this world for, for this. We are by nature disobedient. Before we knew Christ, apart from grace, we were disobedient. We couldn't follow the commands of God. And it's interesting, the word for disobedience that is used here in Greek is the word apatheia. Now, I'm not a Greek scholar or anything like that, but I think that's how you pronounce it. But it, it also means unbelief. So it's not just that we were disobedient to commands, uh, but we're also there was unbelief to Christ. We couldn't believe in him. And we lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind. ask you a question what are the passions of your flesh these are perversions of good desires that is what evil does it perverts our good desires makes things like sex relationships good things become can become evil desires it's worth thinking about how does evil relate to your passions you see as christians we've been given freedom from the bondage of sin, but we're so easily enslaved back into our old ways, aren't we? We think those things will bring us joy and they do for a short moment and then guilt and shame hit. I just think about um, the number of Christian leaders that have fallen into sexual sin and their whole ministry has been ruined for a fleeting moment of pleasure. You see, the prince of the world is loving it he loves, um, to call, he, he loves to tempt us. He loves us to, to take our eyes off Christ and fix our eyes on the world instead. So maybe this week, just something to, to have a think about is how does evil relate to your passions? Ask God to reveal them to you. Ask those closest to you and then wage war on it. If you know about it, you can wage war on it and, and, and ask the Lord for help to say No. But you see, the external and internal forces are not separate. They are closely related. Passions of my flesh, the course of the, this world, they're in sync. They are in sync. Satan and our flesh are in sync. They're pulling together, carrying out, um, carrying out, carrying out the desires of our body and mind. And, the nat- and by nature, therefore, we are children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. And so I hope I haven't depressed you too much, but that is the reality of the state that we were in before we knew Christ. And Paul purposely does that to show us just how far we've now come as we see the great resurrection power that it took for, for, for us to be raised with Christ. We have to move on to the next one, please, Ben. So secondly, we see that we are resurrected with Christ. It's a present reality for us. And here we see the most, perhaps the most um, hopeful word in the whole Bible, but, if you move on, Ben, please, it says, But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Well, how did he make us alive with Christ? Well, it's worth looking at a couple of passages here. We're just going to quickly look at um, Ephesians 4, verse 17 to look at our our problem. And then Ezekiel 36 to see what God does as the solution. So we see in um, Ephesians 4, verse 17 to 18, it says this. Now this I say and testify in the Lord that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of hearts. See, the problem, the ultimate problem is that we have a heart of stone. We have a hard heart. And then we see um, in Ezekiel, um, sorry, um, it's a hard stone, but we, we can't replace it for ourselves. We can't do it. It must be replaced for resurrection life. We see in Ezekiel, verses 26, 27 of chapter 36, it says this, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put it within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He has put a new heart and a new spirit in us. When Jesus died, this is what happened. He, he takes our heart of stone, when he gives us new life, he takes a heart of stone and puts in a heart of flesh, removes that heart of stone for us. This is the mighty work of God and we could not do it ourselves. We could not. Only God could do it. We can't be fooled into thinking for one second that we have had anything to do with our new resurrection life. And look where this resurrection life takes us to. The power that has raised Christ that we saw in chapter one. God raises us to be seated with him. We're not seated at the right hand, that place uh, that is for Christ alone, but we are seated with Christ. That means that we have been given victory over all the enemies of the world like, world like Christ has as well. We have the same victory. He, it was a hard fought victory that was paid for by Christ's life. And our resurrection life is one of, that we have now. We have that victory now. We get that new life now. It is for us to enjoy in the here and now. And yes, we await the full, um, when we receive that in full, when we have full, fully resurrected bodies, when Christ returns. But we still are in a new resurrection life now because we have a new heart now. And God did this. For the praise of his glorious grace, not anything that we did. If you just click on Ben, please, you see, because it's all about grace. This passage is all about grace. Paul makes so much about his grace. Johnny, Sorry, if you just go back one, please. Um, it says this. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, um, even when we are dead in our trespasses, uh, trespasses trespasses. He made us alive, alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. For by grace, you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God. It is grace, 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 grace. We see the wonderful, beautiful character of God here. His loving kindness for us, giving us his mercy, not giving us what we deserve, which is death, but he gives us something much better. He gives us his grace. It's all about his grace. We receive what we don't deserve. If you just click on Ben, please. And this is what John Piper says about grace. Grace is the disposition of God and the power of God to make living people out of dead people. Grace is not God's response to our initiative. There we think first i will believe then you will make me alive you can't say you are going to defeat the course of this world you can't say the prince of the dark you'll defeat the prince of darkness the power of the air overpowering your flesh and mind to produce the reality of faith for god to say or, and we can't say uh, god won't, for god to say well done i will now make you alive that's a dream that is not a reality you did not initiate this grace is the unconditional work of his great mercy and love they are the graces. If you are a Christian today, it is a miracle that you have been saved. Do you ever ponder that when you wake up in the morning? It is a miracle that you are a Christian, that you've been given resurrection life. Whether you were saved as a, from, as from being a drugs cartel, a prostitute, or whether you were saved at the age of five, or you don't even know the moment when you received Christ, but you know you did. Each was a miracle of equal power and of equal treasure, a miracle that we should treasure deeply. And I think sometimes we can, uh, the language that we use um, to, uh, when we tell our story um, can be, um, well, I know I can use some language that isn't maybe the most helpful when I say, "Oh, I knew I, I, knew I needed a saviour. I knew I was sinful. And that's true. That is true. But the reason was because my heart had been enlightened. I could see that I was sinful. And so my story is that I I, I was given a new heart and I could see that I was sinful and I needed a savior. It's all because of him. We are, it's a miracle that you are a Christian. Maybe it's something that we can do this week is just to treasure. That wonderful truth is a miracle, and we thank God for it. If we just click on Ben. It says in verse 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's all through faith. Resurrection life is given to, um, to us in Christ, and that's the creation of faith in us. By grace we have been saved, This and this is the first effect of grace, is faith in us. And that faith in us is us saying, I love you, Jesus, I trust you. It may be a small, small faith to start with. It may be a small faith now, but us saying those words of I trust you and I love you, Jesus is sweet sound to the ears of God. I trust you, God. It means that we know it's not about us. We know it's about him and maybe at this moment, you're struggling to trust him, you have a little faith, you do trust him, but say it. He delights in hearing you say that you trust him or that you want to trust him more. So, our faith is the evidence that we have been raised from the dead, and he raises us to salvation for his glory all through his grace through faith. And Paul is clear, isn't he? In verse, he talks about that this is not of your own doing, this is a gift, and so. This is, a, we, we are saved and we are given faith all so that we don't boast in ourselves. There is no part of salvation that relies on us at all. Even our faith is from him. It's all about God so we don't boast in ourselves. And I think that's really encouraging and really helpful for us to hear, isn't it? That that Because even when we mess up as Christians, even when we continue to sin in the same way, even when we um, are... <laughs> But when we feel wretched and awful that we don't deserve his love. There's nothing we can do to make God love us better. There's nothing we can make, uh, do to make God love us less. It's not about performance. There's a security there for us that no matter how we're feeling, we are still his. He still loves us. And he still has given us his grace. Why has he done all this? Well, we see in verse seven on your screen there. What happens here in verse seven is that Paul is drawing together three threads that he has started in chapter one, where he says in chapter one, verse seven, that we've been given the abundance of God's grace and the cost that came to him at was the death of his son. And then in verse 18, it says we've received the joyous inheritance for his new community. And here he indicates that the purpose of those three threads is so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in christ so for all eternity he might show us those who know christ jesus the wealth in christ jesus the wealth of his grace just how much he loves us that is encouraging he loves you that much and he wants you to know it. What a great plan and what a powerful God to save us from that pit of despair to a hope because we are alive in Christ. He made us a Christian by his sovereign grace and now he shows us what that Christian life is now to be. If you just click on Ben, we see in the final bit for today is we are saved for the service of God. That's our future. Now that we are his, now we've been given resurrection life. Just um, click on again, please, Ben. It's not not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. We've been created by him, meaning we were made alive. We've been made new. We've been given a new life, a new heart. We just think when when, um, Paul, when Paul was saved, he was before he was Paul. He was Saul, wasn't he? He was given a new name. He is now. He was then give, uh, given the new name of Paul. We have a new name. We are gods. We have a new family. The spirit of this world has been replaced with the spirit of God, and this is not a result of your good works, guys. But we've been saved for good works. You see, God does love us unconditionally, not based on our works, but we've been saved for good works, and that's and they're the works that he's chosen for us to do for him. Piper, um, Piper says this that really, um, really touched a nerve with me. It says, the people that are blown away by the sovereignty of God are the busiest Christians doing good works. I'll say that again. The people that are most that are blown away by the sovereignty of God are the busiest Christians doing good works. So if we're not interested in basically saying if we're not interested in doing good works, sorry, if we if we're not interested in doing good works because God loves us no matter what, at best we may have misunderstood the gospel. At worst, we may not have had our hearts truly enlightened in the first place. But Paul says that we are to walk in these good works, that we should, um, one commentator says this, that Christians must accomplish what God has prepared in advance for them to do. You see, because we no longer walk in sin, like it said in verse one of chapter two, there's been a dramatic change, the resurrection life has, life has come, and now we walk in the way that's been carefully planned for us by the creator God. Before time began, he's, he chose these works for us to do. So, as a community, God's new community, we are to walk in his ways. What a privilege that is, that he set plans out for us to do good beforehand. But even in these plans, we can't boast because they're not from us. They're not our doing, they're his. They're his that he's planned for us to do. So, he gets all the glory in every part of salvation. Well, what does this resurrection life look like for us now? We have this resurrection life. We are. We have started living it. What are the good deeds that we are to walk in? Well, um, as I was thinking about this um, uh, um, about a week ago, uh, I, I got to go to watch online at my friend's dad's funeral, who sadly passed away of COVID at Christmas, and his, his funeral was streamed, and it was an amazing funeral an amazing funeral, my friend and his two sisters um, got up at different times to share memories of their dad. And my word, it was moving. And if you, any of you, well, all of you know me, and you know, that it doesn't take very much to move me emotionally. Well, I was absolutely sobbing by the second word that my friend spoke. Um, but each of them talked at length about the faith that their dad had, how he had lived his Christian life to the full. He'd lived it fully for God. And, and my friend got up and he, he mentioned how um, every day at 6.45, from, from as early as he can remember, um, his dad would wake him up and the other children, they'd have family worship time before school at 6.45. And he didn't like it at the time, but, but he'd, learned, he'd learned scripture that way, memorized it. And, and, and he puts down and he, and he shared this, that, that now he does that with his family, with his three girls. And it was just such a wonderful thing that's been passed on to him. His sister talks about how his dad worked incredibly hard as a a pharmacist, working long, long days for many, many years. And yet, at the end of a long day, he still did some amazing things where he would would drive 30 miles to someone who needed medication that wasn't able to get it um, until the next day. He would drive and take it to their house after a 12-hour workday. Another talked just so that they wouldn't go through pain that evening, that they'd have pain relief because... He, he felt God was telling him to do that. Another talked about how every time they're in the car as a family, he would sing praises to God. and one time um, his, um, his daughter said to him, "Why do you, um, you do you truly love God, don't you?" And he said, "Oh, I love God. Um, he has blessed me so much. Why wouldn't I love God? And even his, and he was still even praising God when um, one of his children died five years ago. No matter the circumstances, he would always give glory to God. Well, I say, why do I say all this? Well, I'm not saying this to boast in his good works, even though it was amazing to hear the words that were said about him, a great life lived. But to boast in what God did in him and through him. He was a man that knew he was living his resurrection life, back, even back then, when he came to know the Lord 60 years ago. He sought to obey God's commands and to love others. He did it in the everyday of life. And these were the works. Leading and pointing his family to God each and every day, being diligent in his job, caring for his customers, going the extra mile, at all times, making sure he made much of God in front of others, speaking of him to all that he could, serving diligently in his local church, a life of service of making much of God. These are the good works that may well be set before us. They might be small, everyday things, but they are good works that we are able to walk in. And yes, we're probably going to need help at times. We pray to the Lord that he would help us in those moments where we don't want to lead a family worship time or we don't want to go the extra mile in our workplace or, and so forth. But the, the Lord will help us. He has set these good works before us. And the great thing is that he would have received a well done, good and my good and faithful servant. And that's what we long for, isn't it? For, from all of us. We all want to receive that when we get to heaven. We were dead and hopeless in sin, saved to resurrection life by God's mighty power, given new life, raised with Christ above our enemies, and the devil, and the course of this world, and our flesh, our bodies, and minds for new life for good works that God has even chosen for us before time began. And it was all planned so that he would get all the glory. So we can't boast in anything but him. All praise to him. Thank you. I'm just going to pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for your goodness to us. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for how you've lavished it upon us. We thank you how you have saved us from a pit of despair, that there is, uh, you saved us from, from your wrath. And now we get your love, we get your grace daily, we get Jesus, and Lord I pray that we would um, just uh, remember that we are now living a resurrected life, We have been given a new heart. And Lord, we have been saved for good works, to do works that you have prepared beforehand for us. And I just pray that we would be faithful in walking in them, that you would help us pick, uh, that you would help us walk along your path, not along our own path. Lord, I pray against anything that is going on in our lives at the moment from uh, the evil of this world that is trying to pull us away from you in any way and give us any sense of discontentment, Lord. Pray that we'd remember um, that you are a good and gracious God and just what you've done for us. And, Lord, I pray for anyone that doesn't know you or is not sure if they know you, Lord, I pray that you would enlighten their hearts, that you would bring them into your kingdom. And, Lord, that you would bless them with every spiritual blessing in Christ. We pray this in Jesus'
0: name. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Dan.